Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 176 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is July 5th. 2011. Uh, we were going to have the show on July 4th, a uh, normal Monday slot, but with the holiday, coach was over in uh, Catalina. I was playing in a volleyball tournament, so we decided to put it off a day. So July 5th, Tuesday, 2011, we have the Peristyle Podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can call us at 206 888 Six seven five five. Call us with leave a voicemail. We'll play your voicemail on the podcast and answer your questions. We've got a couple of those coming up today. And as mentioned, we have Coach Harvey Hyde still over enjoying the sun at Catalina Island. How was your uh, holiday weekend, Coach? Absolutely fantastic. Whenever you're around family and friends, and you can't believe how many Trojans took over this island. Wow. You cannot believe it. 91 members of the USC marching band. All the song girls going down Fremont Street. Uh, it was just unbelievable. I'll tell you, Avalon is a USC town. I did not see one UCLA jersey in the whole city. I did not, or in Arizona State or anything. I think people were afraid to wear them. But uh, and uh, USC fan club here, lots of sun. Beautiful weekend, a lot of barbecuing, and fantastic fireworks last night. What a weekend. Great weekend. Awesome, Coach. Wow, that sounds great. Sounds like you had a good time. Uh, wanted to, before we get going, we got some questions. I wanted to uh, thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. is their website. Go check them out if you need tickets for anything, or give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. Curtis will take care of you. He take care of, uh, takes care of Coach and myself whenever we uh, need tickets for anything, for concerts. Any kind of sports, if you want to go to the theater, there's some good shows and stuff going on, go uh, give Curtis a call over there at sctickets.com. And, uh, Coach, do you need any tickets for anything on Catalina, or are you just kind of chilling out there? No, I'm sort of chilling. I'm sort of chilling, enjoying the beautiful weather and talking to people. In fact, uh, I saw a couple of players over here, and it was great sitting down and talking with them. They were they were away uh, for the break. They're all, all going back today to be at workouts tomorrow. And... Uh, not required workouts. They go on their own, of course, and uh, they're looking forward. They're very optimistic to the season. They, they're looking forward to football, and uh, I think it'll be a better than what people think, expect a year for the Trojans. I'll tell you, I really do. I agree with you 100%, Coach. Well, let's, uh, let's get to some questions. The team's going to be coming back. They'll be working out the rest of this week. they got about a month left until – Fall camp starts, so we're going to be looking forward to that with bated breath. We want to get to talk about all the workouts and everything that's been going on as they get ready for this 2011 season. But here's Guy, our friend Guy. Coach, you love him. He's got a, he's got a question for you. Uh, hello, Ryan and uh, Coach Hyde. It's uh, Guy. Happy Fourth of July. I don't even know if you're, there's a podcast today, but I'm calling in blindly. And if there, is, uh, if there isn't, then I guess next week you can answer this question, or two questions. First, Coach Hyde. 
Uh, I was really impressed and really loved it at the Virginia game, the home opener, when you gave that rousing speech to the fans just before the Trojan walk to get them into the spirit of, you know, backing the team even in the face of all the adversity. And I congratulate you on that, and I hope you do it again. I hope you plan to do it again. Everybody loved it, got excited. Second, I would like to ask a question about, technical question about, uh, Dion Bailey's role as a hybrid, so-called hybrid linebacker safety. I was talking to Frankie Telford before the huddle, and he mentioned he called him a rover. Now, can you explain what that position is, basically, as opposed to, say, a will linebacker? And who is who is uh, behind him on the depth chart? Is he is he the only uh, hybrid guy we have? I don't see any any, any depth chart anywhere listing that sort of thing. Thanks in advance, and uh, hope you guys all have a wonderful 4th of July. Uh, bye. Well, Guy, thank you very much for calling in, and happy 4th of July to you, too. Yes, uh, they did move uh, Bailey to a linebacker position, and I thought he did an outstanding job in the spring. And I think why they're doing that is they're trying to get more speed at linebacker, more coverage speed two at the linebacker position because you're you're playing a lot of teams now that run the wildcat and the hurry up offense and so on and they're throwing the ball a lot so you need a cover guy in there you need speed guys on the field and and i really think that i i would be a bit surprised to see shane horton moved over to the strong side too linebacker and and the bullet had such a great spring and he's a technique guy, didn't have great speed as far as like some of the other linebackers, but he doesn't miss tackles, and he's very, his techniques are really strong. And I think because of the front of USC, I'll tell you, they're going to be great up front. I, you, you've heard me talking about uh, Kennard always being a defensive end, Kennard always being a defensive end. Well, they've got him back there. They finally moved him back there, and I think that's a great move for uh, the defensive staff to move Kennard to defensive end with Perry and Horton and the people they have out there so they can put great pressure from the outside. He's got great lateral movement and so on. And Armstead, I'm not sure if he's going to play or not. He has, I think, some medical issues or so on, whatever. I certainly hope he gets well and, and he's able to play, but I think he's an inside player and he can be a very, uh, oh gosh, just a crazy inside player. But they got Uko inside and others inside that are really going to be dominant. So I think that's why what they're thinking is if they can be so dominant inside and they can get a cover guy in as another linebacker, say at the strong side linebacker, then the middle linebacker and the weak side linebacker can really patrol and, and make tackles and read the plays and so on. And, and I think they feel they can have a better overall defense. I think the defense, too, is going to be more simpler this year. I think Coach Monty Kiffin is going to keep it simpler and use the athletic ability of the athletes. And I think the key thing this year for the defense is the conditioning portion as far as being able to play the high pace rate of teams like Oregon and what Arizona State did last year as far as – and I think they'll do it this year. High pace, uh, no huddle offense where – it, you can't just talk about playing against it. Playing against it is really something when you're not used to it. So I think the conditioning portion and working out against that type of, of, of offense is going to be key. Now, if I'm, if I'm the University of Minnesota in the first game, you know, they have a tremendous athlete. I think his name is Gray, 
the quarterback, and, 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 and I'm not sure on his name. He's 6'6", 245 pounds, runs 4'5". He's another Cam Newton. He really is. I was talking to Tim Brewster the other day, the head football coach of uh, – well, he's not the head football coach there anymore, but I was talking to him about the, the athletic ability of, of Minnesota as far as what they have coming back. And he said, Coach, he says, we had three great recruiting years, and it would have been my best year. And they have three great running backs. They've got a huge offensive line. If I'm Minnesota, I'm going to run that offense against USC. Why? Other teams have had great success against it. And I think that would be my best equalizing factor to run something that they haven't showed the great ability of stopping and another great athlete at tailback or at the quarterback. So I really think that that's why Bailey's playing there too. He's undersized, but he's got team speed. They put another cover guy uh, in there. I would think that they're going to move him to strong linebacker or he'll play strong linebacker too. Who will the backups be? It's hard to say. Uh, I would think on the young players coming in, I would try to redshirt them all. I think Kelly will probably be the backup in the middle. I'm not quite sure. I don't have depth chart in front of me here in Catalina to know who the weak side might be. But I think that's basically what they're thinking. I think the safeties will be better than last year. I don't know if Lee will play a receiver or safety, but I think he'd be a great safety. He's tall. He's got great speed. He can play center field. And uh, he can really run the kid out of Sarah. Uh, they got two great athletes out of Sarah, Farmer and Lee. I don't think people understand how good Lee is. He's a great player. They've got TJ, who will be a leader. They've got Chris back in the middle where he should be and stay there the whole time, let him play as a 50-year senior, and they've got some great secondary players. So I'm sorry it took me so long to answer your question, but I think I had to answer it where I could tell you the reasoning for what they're doing. Oh, makes sense, Coach. We'll see. There's a lot of options that the uh... – coaching staff has at at the linebacker spot we're going to be it's be curious to see what they end up doing and uh guys like Dion bailey who can bring a little bit more speed a lot of young guys like that i think that they're going to try to find a role for them somewhere even if they have to define some kind of new role um but like bailey has just been really impressive in uh, off-season workouts he's picking off passes and um just a just a great athlete i think you want to see guys like that get on the field the coaching staff is going to have to get a little more creative, especially over the next few years when there's fewer scholarships, trying to fit guys into one or maybe even more than one role. Guys, maybe it wouldn't be where their traditional role is, but what the team needs at a certain point of time, a guy like Bailey could come in and give a spark to a defense that might need a little bit more speed at linebacker. No, I agree with you. I think you have to have team speed. You know, the game's so fast, and what happens to young players coming in as freshmen they have to mature into not only they're growing at this time, but they have to adjust to the speed on the field. The speed on the field is absolutely fantastic when you go the difference between high school, college, Division One college football, especially like at USC or in the Pac-12, and then to the NFL. There is such a difference in the level of competitiveness and speed in the game and all of these different things that it takes sometimes a little bit longer for a young athlete to mature, even if though he's a great athlete. So, you know, I think redshirting is something that, you know, in the old days, I'll be completely honest with you, it was our goal to redshirt every single freshman we could once we had our depth. It really was. We, we thought that extra year gave them an opportunity of a free year of education, 
plus also another free year of developing themselves into what we thought a real maturing year from an 18 or 17-year-old person to an 18-year-old or whatever age they were. So as many players as USC can redshirt this coming year, I think will be good for the Trojan football future. I agree 100%, Coach. Let's get to our next question. Bill from the OC says, I'm a huge SC fan and just started listening to the podcast. Well, thanks for listening. Bill, you guys have done... You have a great thing going on. Keep it going. Just wanted to get your thoughts on Ohio State. With so much evidence and so many players involved and the coach knowing what was going on, do you see any way the NC2A doesn't come down with huge sanctions? If they do get a slap on the wrist, do you think there will be an uproar amongst writers and fans? That's Bill from the OC. Well, I think there will be, especially on the West Coast. Now, I don't know what's going to happen because you can't ever predict. I wouldn't bet on anything with the NCAA, okay? They're liable to give them a pay raise and add 10 scholarships to their, to their, uh, to their limit. They give them 95 because they did such a good job at what they did. But, uh, you know, I, I would think that if, you, if you're going to be fair and you're going to be the type of organization they're supposed to be administrating – the NCAA and college athletics and so on, you have to judge a, a penalty for what a penalty should be judged for. And if they now have made the standards of what they did with USC, then they've got to continue with that. I don't care who the committee is. Because you can't execute one person and give the other one, put them on probation. And, and that's what they basically tried to do to USC, is they served them their last supper, and thought that would get it done and tried to kill them off. But it hasn't done that. They brought them the fourth top recruiting class in the country, and they're off to another great recruiting year this year. So that didn't make them happy. So they didn't give them any really uh, uh, adjustments to their appeal. So they've got to go through play play this year, and it'll be gone. They'll be able to go to a championship game. They'll be able to go to a bowl game, and then they'll be able to play. Just take a look at a guy like DeAnthony Thomas. I don't know if the University of Oregon used you know, hey, why would you go to USC? They're going to be on probation. You can't play in a bowl game. He goes to Oregon. And, you know, Oregon, man, who knows what's going to happen up there. I don't know how many people have been following this, but it continually grows every single day to where USC looks like they're the role program of what's been going on as far as what directly happened with the coaching staff and recruiting and so on and different things in their administrative offices and so on to what USC had done or supposedly had done with a student athlete off campus with the parents. So, you know, he's liable to go up there and find out that they're going on probation and they, he won't be going in the, going to any bowl game either. You'll see him go back to JC. I'm just making it for instance, go back to JC and then go back to SC because they can be, they'll be able to play in a bowl game. But yes, Ohio state with what's going on there, I'm waiting to see, really. But I'll tell you, they won't lay down. The whole conference and Jim Delaney will fight this case, will really fight it. The Pac-10 didn't fight for USC. The Pac-10 just sat back and said, well, what are you, what are you going to do? What do, you, what do you think you should do? And they all thought this would be an opportunity for them to get stronger and beat USC, and they were tired of SC beating them up, and they tried to take advantage of the penalties against USC. In the Big Ten, they're closer together. Jim Delaney is tough. 
Jim Delaney isn't going to sit back. Jim Delaney is going to fight the NCAA and the rules committee and do whatever he can to soften the penalties against Ohio State. So we'll have to see and wait what happens with that. But, you know, I, I can't see, you know, the same coaching staff being there. Nothing against this coaching staff, really. I can't see the AD being there. If they're going to fire Mike Garrett or ask him to resign or whatever happened there. Gene Smith, I don't know. You, you're trying to tell me that that's not lack of institutional control when you go out in the parking lot and see what's going on or the relationship with boosters or so on. You know, you can you can get rid of anybody for any reason. You know, you're not graduating your athletes. You're not winning football games or whatever. And they're college president. Nice little guy, uh, but uh, a little arrogant to people. And uh, who knows what might happen there. So in Auburn. What's happening in Auburn? They just forget about that situation down there? So there's a lot of issues that the NCAA must face. Because if I'm USC, I'm waiting to see what happens. Now, this is just me. This is not Pat Hayden or anybody I've talked to at USC. So please don't take this the way I know something. I don't know anything. But I'm going to sit back and I'm going to watch and see what they do to Oregon or Ohio State or Auburn and so on. And, you know, they got a pretty good law school at USC and some great lawyers who have graduated from USC and have very successful practices. I would sit back and say, really? We got a tougher penalty and stiffer penalty than they did? Maybe we ought to see what the courts think about this. And who knows what that might do. Now, this is not anything I know. But I'm just saying, you know, you know, you got to treat people the same. So I'm waiting to see just what happens too. I think all the USC fans are. We're gonna we're gonna talk about actually the Todd McNair lawsuit a little bit in the next segment with Dan Weber. But yeah, Coach, uh, some USC fans really would like to see that that USC takes the NCAA to court. And I think if uh, there's a lot of slap on the wrist to come, like for Ohio State or Oregon or Auburn or North Carolina, that's that's certainly a possibility for USC. I don't know anything if it could happen. But, you know, I'm, I'm very competitive. And, uh, you know, my feeling is, okay, you didn't slap our hands. You cut my hand off. Okay, it's healing. We'll still be able to play. wasn't my heart. And I'm waiting to see what you do to these other people. And uh, we'll see what happens. We will, Coach. Well, we appreciate you coming on and answering some uh, some questions there. And I apologize, everyone, for having the show on the 5th instead of the 4th. It was just for the holiday. But I uh, hope you enjoy the Peristyle podcast. Like I know you do, Coach. I know you like coming on. We always have a fun night. So I want you to enjoy the rest of your time over there at Catalina, and we'll talk to you again next week. Well, thank you very much, Ryan, and thank you for everyone out there for paying attention to me. <laughs> just take it. I, I love doing it like Ryan says. I, I just tell you from the heart how I really feel. Sometimes you agree, sometimes you don't agree. But, uh, you know, like I said, uh, uh, you gotta, you gotta work hard to win. Everybody's trying to win and, and it's not an easy thing to do. And I think a lot of people became very envious of USC and sat back and sort of said, Oh, really? Look what happened to them pointing the finger. And now look what's happening to them. So happy 4th of July to everybody. And all over with but enjoy it have a short week at work and we'll talk to you next week all right thanks again coach thanks to southern california tickets and uh if you run into coach over there in catalina 
Go ask. Go, he'll buy you lunch or something. So go say hi to the coach, Harvey. <laughs> you got to buy me. You got to buy me. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, coach. And everyone Thank else, you. we'll be back in 30 seconds talking with Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have our extraordinary beat writer from uscfootball.com, Dan Weber. Dan, making it through the uh, 4th of July weekend. Hope you had a good time. How are you doing? Hey, pretty good. Uh, yes, we did. And uh, I think we look at things, and I, I remember in years past, I think we, it's almost like we're pretty far down the path to getting ready for fall practice. And I'm not sure we, we felt like this in years past that we were this close because I think it just seemed like a lot more has, has been accomplished and happened uh, off the field with football this year uh, than in previous years. So, uh, yeah, the 4th of July was always kind of like, okay, now we can start looking looking toward August and practice and what have you. But, uh, you know, it seems like we're already – uh, you know, weeks into the you know summer workouts, and uh, and uh, it just seems like a lot more has been done this year. I, I agree with you, and the, the team's on a break right now. They'll start up again uh, later this week. Um, you know, start their off-season workouts again uh, on Wednesday, and then you know they'll probably be out there throwing. Later on, we'll be out there getting footage and stories and all that coming on. So it'll be. It'll be interesting. Countdown, you know, about a month away from fall camp, and I think it's uh, with all the stuff that's been going on. I'll say stuff in parentheses for USC fans. I think they're just happy to see some actual football and and get that first game with Minnesota on the docket there. Yeah, it it never stops. We uh, kidded last year. We thought it was a you know a year that had at least three or four years worth of news, and it just hasn't slowed down. Uh, and uh, you know, for example, this summer uh, Matt Barkley went. To uh, you know the ESPN tour um, for the Pac, uh, the new Pac-12, and that was early. The um, uh, football media day is going to be early because the, it's going to be before the coaches go to New York and and and, uh, and Bristol. So everything seems to have uh, have moved up earlier this year. So uh, we, we we do have a we have more happening in a shorter period of time. It seems like. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, we got a couple questions. So let's get okay. to those. Um, first one, Sam wanted to know, there's a story about Jarvis Jones, a former USC linebacker uh, who transferred out. There's a story in the, the Ledger Inquirer about um, some airplane tickets uh, from Los Angeles, from Atlanta to Los Angeles, back and forth. Um, so we wanted to get your comments on that. He wanted to know if this is going to affect uh, USC in any way. Could USC get more penalties because they were on probation when this happened? Would USC have to forfeit games? Uh, what what kind of impact do you think this Jarvis Jones story could have on USC? Well, I think only if USC knew anything, you know, about it, which almost certainly uh, they didn't. Uh, it, it certainly looks like uh, 
uh, it was a combination of a recreation commission in Columbus, Georgia, that, uh, uh, you know, there's really no connection there uh, between them and USC. It was also involving a, a summer basketball program. Uh, some of the dates, if you look at some of the dates for the flights, don't seem to make a lot of sense. Uh, they don't uh, match up in every case with, uh, you know, something that would have been happening or they, they, they seem mismatched. So there were four dates involved. Um, and so I don't know how much credibility to give that story. Uh, there were other people involved, uh, you know, around Jarvis. So, uh, you know, to say that the NCA could or could not do anything, I think, you know, based on any sort of precedent, basically the NCA said, you know, there are no precedents. We can do anything we want to you because you are who you are and we are who we are. And therefore, to try to apply, uh, you know, logic or reason or precedent or history or anything to any particular case now is not something that you can do. The NCA basically told us, you can't do that anymore. We can do anything we want. We can charge uh, Boise State for lack of institutional control because they have a couple of players come in in the summer and sleep on the uh, floor of, of teammates, uh, but we won't charge Ohio State with lack of institutional control uh, for the hundreds and hundreds of things that we already know have been going on there. So whatever, you know, whatever the NCAA wants to do, they can do. So I'm not thinking it's probably uh, uh, very productive to try to get out in front of, of an NCAA um, case. As Pat Hayden said last week to us, uh, you know, he's been there three times, sat there through hearings, talked to people. They've done all their, you know, due diligence uh, in terms of uh, trying to, you know, what can we do, what do we need to know, and basically his conclusion at the end of last week was, what the heck could you possibly know from talking to the NCAA people or re trying to read their minds? He said, you really can't. So, uh, so yeah, I wouldn't think USC's, uh, you know, I mean, I think the, the, the penalty that comes down for something like this essentially is Jarvis possibly loses um, some eligibility at the University of Georgia uh, where he's supposed to be a starter going into this year. I think that – I think the penalties in this particular case, if there are any, you know, if they find anything uh, was done, uh, you know, was an improper benefit to Jarvis, uh, basically that penalty will um, will uh, will hurt Jarvis and, and will take away, you know, would they take away games from USC? There's, I think that's almost become a meaningless penalty. Uh, you know, it might be a penalty, say, to Pete Carroll, when you look at his record overall in the Pac-10, you know, and, and they say, you know, they take some more games away and say those games didn't happen. Well, everybody knew, knows those games happened. They know who won. Uh, they know that, you know, whether Jarvis Jones played or not had absolutely no effect on, on the outcome of those games. So we'll see. Uh, you know, the NCAA has been, you know, uh, able to do some things now that you just say, what are they thinking? For example, when they called Kentucky on the carpet and said that they misfigured by adding in games on John, for John Calipari's record uh, and shouldn't have had a post-game celebration for his whatever 400th or 500th win because since we took some games away from him in Memphis and uh, – and uh, Massachusetts, he's not there yet. And if you don't change this, we're going to call you up, you know, in front of the committee on infractions. 
you know, head slapping stuff like that. So could the NCAA do something? Sure. They could do anything they want. Uh, and <laughs> they've made that uh, bylaw right now that, yeah, we can do anything we want. I wonder so, if you, I think some USC I fans. I, yeah, I just wouldn't figure, you know, on that. On that. But I, I really don't take at face value the first story that we saw just because the four dates didn't seem to match exactly when Jarvis would have been going and coming uh, in terms of how the USC schedule broke down that year. They, they didn't seem to uh, uh, match up exactly correctly. So was Jarvis you know, on those flights? Was it someone else uh, you know, related to him or whatever? I don't know. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't think USC, that's something that's really on the front burner at USC right now. Okay. Well, thanks for that one, Sam. Let's, uh, Troy75 has a question. I'll read a little bit of what he wrote here. He says, will Todd McNair's lawsuit be used as a means of showing the world what a horrible job the NCAA did in pursuing not only Todd but also USC? They wrecked Todd's career by relying on unsubstantiated hearsay. They failed to afford him even fundamental due process rights, though they professed before Congress that they would. Uh, he wants to know, I mean, basically it goes on about the incident a little bit, but he wants to know, um, will USC be able to realize justice by way of Todd McDare's lawsuit, and will SC finally have its side of the story told? One would hope so. I mean, for some of us, I mean, as much as we immediately, the first time we were able to read the case and the summaries and the, all the various uh, uh, questioning and, you know, what have you, and, and you realized all the things that the NCA had, had to do to nail Todd, you thought, you know, first of all, you have to think about Todd, and this is a man's career, and what they seem to be willing to do in order to take down USC. It certainly looks like Todd was just incidental in their, uh, 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 you know, need to bring down USC. So you have to, you know, I think first look at it as we hope Todd gets justice and we hope Todd gets, uh, you know, uh, a chance to make his case and a chance to, you know, regain his name and his career and, uh, you know, all of the financial, uh, you know, opportunities that have been taken away from him and that I hope, you know, that the NCAA gets penalized in a way that they seriously think we will never do this again to anyone. This is too, um, this is too painful in every way. So yes, you hope it, you hope it, you know, first of all, focuses on Todd, but then by proxy, you have to hope that they can show through this case, it won't be their focus, but that what they did to Todd basically was to take USC down uh, that way and um, and make the connection through Todd. So uh, one would hope that, you know, people, for example, every story that was written about the case, uh, you know, basically uh, for four years somewhat played down, you know, what's going to happen to Reggie and, and played up what's going to happen to USC. I think the same thing maybe will happen in this case that uh, hopefully that Todd gets justice, but that maybe it will play out so that people will write the case in a way that says um, not only did Todd not get justice or, or you know, fair process, uh, not even close to due process, which the NCAA, of course, now says, well, we don't really owe them due process. Forget what we said to the uh, Congress in 2004 
we really were weasel wording that. If you would have paid really close attention, we really weren't exactly saying what we were trying to make you think we were saying. Uh, uh, one almost hopes when we think this week there's a sports figure who lied to Congress and is on trial and is in serious trouble, Roger Clemens. One would think that he's not the last person in sports who lied to Congress that will be in serious trouble in some future moment because, uh, you know, the NCAA said some things uh, uh, in, in terms of how they uh, handle hearings and how they handle people who are accused in terms of allowing them to face their accuser and uh, question their accuser, which they absolutely didn't even attempt to follow in the USC case and in the Todd McNair case. And clearly, uh, attempted to make it so that USC and Todd McNair were not able to question or confront any of their accusers, and uh, completely opposite what they had told Congress in uh, 2004. And uh, now, if you read between the lines, you realize what exactly it was the NCA was saying uh, in a way that was very, I thought, very duplicitous and, uh, and, and, and meant to mislead. And uh, one would only hope that in the Todd McNair case, that all comes out and uh, that the NCAA does have to uh, defend its conduct uh, in this case and its previous statements about how it, uh, it uh, uh, you know, offers rights and protections to the accused, which it did not do in the USC case, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I guess the one problem, Dan, is it could take a long time and if there's some kind of settlement where things are closed, I mean, maybe, you know, the, for the USC fan, there isn't really justice. McNair might get his his day and, and get money or whatever, but all the, you know, improprieties or whatever from the NCAA might not come out. I mean, I, th- I think if they did come out, a lot of other schools might be turning their heads and said, hey, that could happen to us, and it, it could really change the way things go from now on. Well, I, I mean, I think the thing here is the conduct and the damages are so egregious that I don't think it could be one of those settlements like uh, in Tar- Jerry Tarkanian, uh, $2.5 million and whatever that would be today, or in, in the Rick Neuheisel's case, even though he got the money from Washington, uh, you know, another, I think, something like, you know, about that same figure. Uh, I think this case, the damages are such, and the willingness to settle will only be at, at such a high, high number that the number itself will make the point uh, of what the NCA did. What won't happen possibly is you will not be able to maybe get every um, every single email, uh, you know, of people on the committee on infractions and the enforcement staff and all of that. That would be too bad if 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 that doesn't happen. I know the NCAA in their one statement about the case has said they're going to vigorously defend it and they acted out of that maybe all bravado and just, you know, and, and, and bluffing, you know, or once they get into the case, they may decide, you know what, we don't need to put Paul D. on the stand or we don't need to put Josephine Petito on the stand or our enforcement people. Uh, that might not be the way to go. But I think it will really, really cost them uh, a tremendous amount of uh, money to settle this, uh, amount so large 
that even if that is, uh, you know, uh, governed by some confidentiality clause, I can't imagine that, that people won't, you know, somehow uh, understand. I don't know that the NCA could do that in a way that they would keep from all of their members how much they had to pay to get out of this case and why they had to pay that much to, uh, to uh, you know, get out of the case and settle it. Uh, so, that, you know, that's where, that's where I think it's going. I think the people that Todd McNair has uh, uh, representing him are not doing this just because, you know, this could be a quick hit and out of here. I, I, I'm thinking these, you know, these are the kind of, you know, Bruce Borlett, uh, his law firm, are the kind of people who aren't going to do that. I think, you know, I think there's a principle involved in this particular case, and I think with Todd McNair, there's a principle involved. And uh, I think the NCA would have to, you know, really do a whole lot of things uh, in terms of admitting what it was they did to Todd McNair before, uh, you know, there could be any kind of a settlement. All right, Dan, great stuff. Thanks very much, and. Uh... Thanks for coming on a day on a Tuesday. We normally do the podcast on a Monday. We we skipped a day because of the holiday. But thanks for uh, coming on with us, Dan. We look forward to hearing more about what the actual team is doing in the coming weeks. The team yeah. will be out working out. <laughs> We're hoping we get to see him Thursday, and uh, and that'll be fun. Uh, uh, just can't come soon enough, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we want to see football. We want to see uh, you know tackling and running, and we want to see them all together and. and this is really, you know, the potential to be such an interesting team. I mean, I, I know I've probably more often than people want to hear kind of referenced the 2002 team and the Turner, you know, and, and, and that's kind of what USC really needs after the last couple of years. They need that kind of, you know, let's make the step back up, uh, uh, you know, and get back up where we belong. And, and I think it's, overstated, you know, for example, USC's uh, depth issues and USC's scholarship problems and all of that. that That's not exactly – they're young, but that's not the case this year. They've got enough players and they've got enough talent. Uh, whether they've got enough experience and all that, we'll see. And that's why you want to see them out there, on, on, you know, on the field. But this is a team that can line up with anybody they're playing and uh, have a really good shot. Uh, and and this this could be one of those years where you just remember, uh, you know, every game and most of the practices. Uh, they've got that kind of potential, uh, and yet they're all, they're awfully young, uh, but with a different kind of experience. These guys have been around. Like Kyle Prater is probably the youngest. I mean, the, the most experienced guy in college football who hasn't played a game yet. <laughs> uh, things like that. I mean, there are a lot of those guys around. Uh, and uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out uh, with a talented team, a team with enough players. they got enough bodies, and, uh, uh, and they've got enough talent. Uh, we'll see how it all goes together. Uh, but uh, uh, it's got the potential to be you know, a tremendously interesting year. Certainly does, Dan. Well, thanks again for coming on, and we'll uh... – We'll talk to you again next week. We'll see you on the, out there at the Peristyle on the message boards. Thanks for coming on. Okay. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Everyone else, we're going to talk some uh, recruiting with Gerard Martinez. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. 
Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com networks. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We've got Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com National Recruiting Analyst, talking about this USC recruiting class. What's going on, Gerard? you enjoy your 4th of July? I had an awesome 4th of July. It was fantastic. Glad that, uh, you know, we could celebrate our country's independence the way we do and uh, be free and uh, exciting times, you know, middle of the summer. Been a little quiet on the recruiting trail, been a little quiet in the football front, but you know what? That's a welcome change for us at uscfootball.com. <laughs> it's not bad to, to have a little quiet period. Well, even during the quiet period, there's some something happened, and uh, USC lost one of the commitments for the class of 2012. There was three receivers that were committed, and I think we got a lot of questions on why does USC have so many receivers. Well, now the Trojans have one less receiver. Jordan Payton uh, said he's not going. He's not a commit to USC right now. Indeed, and uh, I guess you know it's one of those things that it wasn't a matter of if, but rather than when. And uh, we actually broke the news in the war room Friday morning, and it was something that we had been hearing for about a week and a half. And tried to contact Jordan, and he's usually a guy who get on the phone pretty quick, uh, being able to verify and confirm news and. He was kind of avoiding us, and I think, you know, he just wanted to not really talk about it in depth, probably just wanted to kind of decide on uh, not necessarily whether he was going to be committed to USC or not, but just what he wanted to say and kind of the other schools that he was going to be interested in and uh, wanted to handle it a certain way. And so, uh, you know, we'd heard from some other pretty good sources that this was coming down the pike, so we put it out a little early, and uh, luckily, you know, we got ahead of it. And uh, I think USC fans, though, uh, weren't necessarily shocked by the news. And, you know, I don't think they'll be shocked by the news if uh, there's another decommitment from one of the wide receivers. We've talked about that in depth as well on the Peristyle. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things that uh, we kind of saw coming. Um, you know, it's it's a loss. It's a four-star receiver. It was the first wide receiver commit for USC um, for the 2012 class. And um, a lot of people are under the misconception that uh, Jordan Payton was a commitment uh, from Pete Carroll, but that's not true. Uh, Jordan Payton was actually the first commit of Lane Kiffin and Ed Ergeron. So he was part of, uh, you know, this staff's uh, recruiting efforts early on, um, but it was a very early commitment. And I think, uh, as we've talked about before, you know, times have changed a little bit for USC and the outlook uh, of uh, recruiting and kind of the strategy that has to be behind recruiting with only 15 rides per year has to change a little bit. And, uh, you know, as we talked about before on the Peristyle as well, um, the numbers I think weren't necessarily going to match up uh, with USC taking three receivers in this class. So they get a decommitment. It's a loss, but I think it's a convenience uh, for USC. I think it was um, a mutual parting ways. Um, for the most part, and it doesn't sound like Jordan is going to continue to consider USC. I don't think USC is going to continue to pursue Jordan. Um, you know, the main crux of it all, I think, came to when USC kind of came to him and said, hey, listen, we want you to take your visits, but we want you to take your visits early. And that kind of went against a, a lot of what Oaks Christian uh, as a high school likes to do. 
Um, Bill Riddell doesn't like his players taking visits during the season. He wants them to concentrate on the season, especially if it's your senior year. And then that kind of forces you to take your official visits after the season. Well, USC is in a place where they can't have kids taking a bunch of different official visits in January. You know, when you've only got 15 rides and you really, really have to count on each and one of those guys getting in. This is not one of those things back in the Pete Carroll days when you had 22 rides and maybe they'd only get 18, 19 uh, that actually ended up on scholarship, and then maybe you bring in a couple of walk-ons that got uh, scholarships uh, on the roster already later in the year. This is one of those things where USC's got to be very precise. They've got to hit that 15 exactly. They've got to know where their numbers are exactly coming in this class. So I think it was one of those things where um, – any wavering, any hesitation uh, by Jordan Payton uh, was just going to kind of lead to this result, and it did. And it could lead uh, to more decommitment. So we'll be on top of that. And uh, like I said, we've discussed that already a little bit in the war room. All right. And there's, here's some more. We have a, an audio question, actually, a voicemail question uh, talking about recruiting. Here you go. Hey, Ryan. This is um, a question for Gerard concerning the decommitment of Jordan Payton, I'm actually not even worried about it, you know, because taking three wide receivers is too many, you know, so I would rather use that on the athlete like Derek Woods or like DJ Foster, you know, or like maybe just, you know, for we could take four linemen, you know, um, wanted to know his thoughts on it, what Jordan will probably do. Thank you very much and fight on. So I think, you know, again, it kind of going back to a little bit of what I said, um, is USC going to look exclusively at another position to put numbers in instead of, you know, taking another wide receiver? Well, that was kind of a piece that I uh, wrote uh, yesterday about, you know, what, what's the plan now replacing Peyton? And it's a personnel plan. It's a different model for USC going into recruiting uh, this year than it's been in years past because you're not looking at only, okay, do we replace – Jordan Payton with another receiver, it's do we replace Jordan Payton with another receiver or do we replace him uh, with someone that maybe we want to re-sign on the roster because you got to understand USC still got to get down to that 75 cap. So you're not only evaluating Jordan Payton against other recruits out there, you're evaluating Jordan Payton with other players that you have in your roster as well. And so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I think it's not just, okay, we have one less receiver, let's just pick up another lineman. I mean, USC could do that. I think as, you know, we, you know as, as the caller talked about a little bit, there's a lot of USC fans out there that want to see USC sign as many offensive linemen as possible. Again, this is kind of touched on uh, in the piece wrote yesterday. You're, you're looking at a year where there are so many good offensive linemen that you could really get away with taking five or six, and you're going to have five or six really high-quality offensive linemen. Uh, which is hard to find. But I think going back to a page out of Pete Carroll's book, and I think Lane Kiffin probably has some of these feelings as well. I'm, I'm not speaking for him directly. I don't know. I've never talked to him about this type of uh, strategy when it comes to recruiting uh, specifically. But Pete Carroll would not like to bring in extra linemen in a class because he felt like that would be dead weight if any of those guys didn't turn out to be the contributors that they thought they would be. So, in other words, if you bring in an extra wide receiver and he doesn't turn out to be a good wide receiver, if he's big enough, you move him to defensive back. Or a guy like Darius Rogers, who's, you know, 205 pounds already, I mean, he could end up growing into being a linebacker. He's a pretty big kid. 
you have that option to move kids to another position uh, if they're just not cutting in a certain position. Defensive linemen, you can over-recruit for defensive linemen. If a defensive lineman is not playing up to the standards that you need on the defensive line, you move them over to the offensive line. And that's a much easier uh, you know, strategy to have uh, on your on your depth chart, and and in, in especially you know if you're talking about limited rides and you're talking about uh, limited scholarships overall with the 75 cap. So, you know, do they just want to stack the deck with offensive linemen? You, you, I think you want to just um, at face value because there are so many talented players this year on the West Coast, and it's really such a a, a difference from years past. I mean. You know, I basically wrote a piece um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, kind of listing the offensive linemen and, and where they were and, and kind of where they sat in terms of, you know, being guards and offensive tackles and where they might contribute in college. And I think with, you know, there being so many guys, you, you kind of want to go after those guys and you want to sign as many as possible. But in the back of your head, I think as an offensive line coach, you realize, hey, it's just because it's a really good year, and it you know relative to the years previous, the last three years, it, it really makes it like really, 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 really good year. So you know there is a chance that we're hyping it a little bit too much because there's been <laughs> such a disparity um, from the past three years of offensive linemen. So you know I, I think while there's a possibility, they say okay, let's you know Jordan Payton's gone. Where's that ride going? It's going to another position. I don't know that it wasn't all already always already going towards another position is what I'm trying to say. It may have already been a position um, in the back of, you know, uh, the coaching staff's mind. Hey, let's take, you know, only two receivers, um, maybe only one receiver, and kind of knowing, you know, we're going to have another linebacker in this class, we're going to have another offensive lineman in this class, the receiver position will work itself out. So, again, Kind of, you know, if you if you're subscribing to uscfootball.com, the piece I wrote yesterday really touches a lot on this. Okay, check that out. And uh, Gene, there's a question. We want to thank Gene. He said, uh, "Hello, love the podcast. I've been a diehard USC fan for nearly 60 years and can't get enough info." He basically had the same question about what we were just talking about the wide receivers and and the tight end. So thanks, Gene, for sending in that question. Hopefully, that was addressed there over the past two uh, segments here with Gerard. Um, we have a question from M. Clayton 77. He said he'd love to be able to add to the 2011 class if a, if a recruit were available that they liked. Would USC be able to do that? I've read that there were questions about maybe a couple guys not being able to qualify. What could USC do there? That, uh, if you mean bringing a late signee from the 2011 class, that is very, very doubtful, only because any prospect that has assigned at this point is probably A, got A, great issues, or B, just not that much of a talent. And I don't think you want to replace someone who, you know, let's say they are okay to qualify. You want to bring them in. You're saying, okay, we can, you know, replace this player with uh, one of the guys that we signed, um, you know, back in February, one of our, you know, first or second choices at that position. Um, you know, instead we're going to go after this kid who hasn't signed with anybody. I mean, there's probably a reason for that. So that I would say no, probably not. Uh, but in terms of bringing in 2012 uh, recruits that count towards the 2011 class, that's something that we've talked about. Right now you've got three players in the 2012 class that want to be early enrollees. They want to graduate in December. They want to enroll at USC in January. And what that does is it actually counts uh, in terms of, you know, what the class total, that rolls back to 2011. So you have Eric Armstead, who was one of the first commitments that USC had in the 2012 class. Uh, You have Scott Starr, 
You have um, who's the third that I'm I'm forgetting about? Um, uh, oh, Kelvin York, the uh, junior college running back from Fullerton. So you have those three players, and all of which are are planning on and I say planning on because you never know what's going to happen. Really, we don't have a real good idea about this until you get into September and these kids have kind of finished their summer school and you know whether they passed those classes that they had to take uh, to be able to get ahead of the game so they can graduate in December. So, you know, you've got, you know, defensive end, Eric Armstead, linebacker, Scott Starr, running back, Kelvin York. Kelvin York would be the guy that probably most worried about um, if you're a USC fan because you're, you know, junior college guys, they always have this plan to get out early, and I'd say it's probably 60-40 whether they actually do. 40% getting out, 60% not getting out. Uh, Isaiah Wiley was a good example. We have a lot of those players um, that, that have that plan, and then it comes time to graduate, and then they realize, you know what, I need another math class, or I need this English class, or something like that. So, you know, we'll see. We'll kind of see how that all plays out, um, you know, as, as the summer ends and as the next semester begins. Um, but those players can be, you know, counted towards the 2011 class, so they won't actually be counted towards um, the 2012 class. That actually frees up through more scholarships for the 2012 class. So in that way, yes, I mean, that's, that's you know, definitely something USC is looking forward towards. Um, I think they want to roll back as many scholarships as they can because it, it does kind of in a in – a, in a, in a roundabout way, add to the class, and you're able to kind of continue to have some balance, but you're still working against that 75 cap. So that doesn't change. So, you know, in some ways, they're, they're, where are they at, Ryan, right now? 82 uh, scholarship players right now? Yeah, it looks like 82, right, as of now, if, if everyone comes in from the 2011 class. Yeah, so they've got to work, uh, you know, to be 75 or below that next year. So you're also kind of keeping that in mind and saying, okay, we have some non-qualifiers. Do we need to replace those guys? Do we want to replace those guys? Or is that just helping us further along to get down to that 75 scholarship limit? So that's in the back of the mind uh, of the coaches as well. Um, you know, again, going back to even the Jordan Payton thing, you know, you kind of keep that in the back of your mind as far as, okay, we got one guy that, you know, has decided to decommit. You know, that's a guy that you don't necessarily have to cut on your roster because you're not down to the 75 in the future. So there's a lot of that kind of negotiation going on, a lot of that strategy. Um, I, I will say that the 2011 non-qualifiers, who let's just say they don't qualify, at this point we don't know yet. There's three guys, and I'm not going to give names because that's something that we've kind of put in the war room, we've talked about in the war room, so I'm going to leave that for the subscribers. But there are three players in this class right now that are not in yet. They're not on campus. And if those three players do not get on campus and they do not end up qualifying, um, they will count towards the 2011 class still if they're able to still get back on campus next January. So that's when, so there's still 2011 signees if they can enroll early technically. I mean, it's, it's a weird thing to say if they're really enrolling late, but if they're not able to get in, you know, this fall, but they're still able to get in next January and be eligible for spring ball, they will still count towards 2011. So it's a, it's a tricky thing. Um, and it's, uh, you know, you can talk to yourself in circles trying to think about all this, uh, but I think to answer the question, no, there's no one, uh, I think, in the 2011 class that is unsigned that USC would want to bring in instead of uh, the three players right now that are on the bubble that may not qualify. All right. Great stuff, Gerard. And then one last thing. We have uh, Z Kamish wants to know. Well, first he said, thanks for your work on the podcast. 
It is his only means of keeping up with the Trojans for a displaced Californian out here in Jersey. Well, we appreciate that. Glad we could help you out, and thanks for tuning into the podcast. He said, anyway, was wondering if there's any word on Shaq Thompson's recruitment. He's still maybe give some background open. On maybe give some background on him, too. So if people okay, Shaq Thompson, uh, 6'2", about 210-pound, five-star safety from Sacramento Grant High School, um, one of the top safeties in the country. Uh, will be built like a linebacker, um, fast, plays running back also for Grant, and is a pretty darn good running back. Uh, committed to Cal early in the process. A lot of people felt like he was going to go to Cal from the you know just from the jump, so that wasn't necessarily a surprise to anybody. But then he decided he was going to decommit from Cal literally a week later, and say, you know what, I jumped the gun. I want to take some visits, and Cal doesn't think that you know it's a good idea for me um, to say that I'm a commit when I'm still exploring my options. Now a lot of people feel like he decommitted from Cal, uh, kind of at the the request of Cal to kind of make sure that he kept. Uh, you know, some hype around his recruitment, um, make him a bigger time recruit, uh, also help uh, his other teammates there at Sacramento Grant High School because, you know, if Shaq Thompson's still on the market, then a lot of the other schools uh, that are recruiting Shaq are going to come down to Grant High School and watch him play and maybe some, you know, of his other teammates get scholarships through that. So there's a lot of kind of skepticism around him actually decommitting from Cal. A lot of people feel like he's going to end up at Cal. They're certainly the team to beat right now. A lot of the Grant uh, players end up at Cal. Um, but, you know, he does say that he wants to officially visit USC. That is one school that he says he's kind of got penciled in uh, for an official visit. Um, Notre Dame's another school that he's looking at a lot. Uh, he's, you know, there's some, there's some, there's some interest there. And, and I've heard some things that, you know, legitimately he might be looking at USC a little more uh, than people give credit to. But, uh, again, in the back of your head, you've seen so many players from Grant end up at Cal um, kind of hard to not to, 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 to kind of imagine him going almost pull off at USC because that would kind of be, I guess, the anti-Cal, Southern Cal. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it, there's, there's also some talk, you know, his relationship with his brother and maybe his brother didn't necessarily end things the way that everybody kind of assumes he did at Cal and, and wasn't necessarily on the same page with the coaching staff. That's more rumor than anything else. Um, but that kind of feeds into, you know, maybe he is looking around a little more than, uh, than people think. Uh, personally, I, I would put Cal way up there and kind of say, okay, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, wouldn't necessarily put a lot of eggs in that basket, though, if you're USC and, you know, you're in January and you're hoping that you get a safety commit. Um, I don't know if Shaq Thompson's a guy that uh, you're, you're building all your hopes on. All right, Gerard. Well, hey, thanks for uh, the great recruiting information, as always. And you can read Gerard on USCfootball.com, get in-depth with a lot of his pieces. And, of course, the War Room, we put a lot of recruiting tidbits in there every Friday. And uh, thanks again, Gerard. I hope you had a great holiday weekend, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. I did, man. Vegas, 4th of July. Wow. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! Cool. All right. Uh, well, thanks again, and uh, thanks to everyone for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week on our regular day on Monday, bringing you the latest on USC football and recruiting. You've been.
been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you.